Well, good morning. Hope you are good and uh, things are, are going your way. I'm excited this morning um, about this series and the message. Um, we're in the series called You Came, and we're looking at the reasons that Jesus came, and we're celebrating that specifically during this season uh, as we approach Christmas. And uh, so it's, it's been exciting. We actually saw last week four people take their first step of faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. And so that was awesome to see. And it's just so cool to see and to know that the gospel and the power of Jesus is still effective. It's still powerful. It, it still works in people's hearts. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to look at this fact that Jesus came to make us new. Um, last week, we looked at Jesus came to give us hope. And this week, we're going to look at how Jesus came to make us new. He came to give us a new heart. He came to give us a new beginning. He came to give us the forgiveness of sin. He came uh, to give us purpose and new life. And so we're going to be looking at that. We're going to begin in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. I want to read those. And then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and read a couple of verses. And then we'll get into the message. I want to set up uh, Jeremiah for you a little bit. Much like Isaiah uh, was last week and when we looked at the prophet Isaiah and what he had to say to Israel, which was the Jewish people, the people that God had chosen to bless the earth by bringing the Messiah through them. Um, Jeremiah was a prophet also. And he's about to tell us something that God is going to do. And so he's speaking to a people who were in captivity. And he's speaking to uh, a people who uh, were in bondage and, and, and that he's about, God is saying he's going to deliver them from that. And so keep that in mind as we're reading uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. It says in verse 31, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, as we look at this, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he's addressing a specific issue where these people were coming in and challenging his apostleship, his leadership, the ministry that God called him to. And so he's having to defend to the Corinthians um, the ministry, the very ministry that God had given him. And so these people who were challenging him had these letters of recommendation from other so-called church leaders that were basically telling the Corinthians, um, this is... Uh, these people are legitimate. And so Paul is going to make his appeal, not with handwritten letters, but with the changed lives of the Corinthians. And so let's read the first two verses, and we'll get back into this shortly. But it says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He's saying, are we having to defend ourselves against these people again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Well, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for the promises that it contains. Thank you, God, for this covenant, this agreement, this promise we have in Jesus. God, thank you that you come to us to establish a relationship with us, that you have persevered with us, you have have pursued us, God, even when we weren't pursuing you. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. And we ask now, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, for those who don't know you, God, I pray that they would 
come into the reality of the Holy Spirit changing their heart through faith in Christ. And for those of us who do know you, God, I pray we would again look into the face of Jesus and see your glory and that we would be transformed from that glory into Christ's likeness. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are in a time of year. We're in a season that we all know what's coming, right? Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. And so there's no doubt in our minds what's coming. I thought it would be interesting this morning to ask this question. How many of you are finished with your Christmas shopping? Can you raise your hand? Five. (laughs) All right. Now, for all the honest people in the room, how many of you have not started your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. Way more hands. Y'all are more like my kind of people. Um, In fact, Susan, my wife, she does... uh, pretty much all of our shopping and she does most of that on Black Friday. Um, she goes with her sister and her cousins and, and they go do that craziness uh, that is Black Friday shopping and they love it. I don't do that because I don't want to go to jail and so I stay away from that. But uh, she gets all of that done and, and most of it gets done on that day. Uh, and, and so we get prepared not because of me but because of what she does. But there's no doubt in our mind, like we know what's coming around the corner. We know that Christmas is approaching. We know uh, the season that we're in. Uh, and, and so when you think about that, we know what's ahead. And, and Jeremiah is basically telling us this is what's to come. In his heart, he knows that the Lord has spoken to him, that, that this is something that's going to happen. This wasn't uh, some thought that might happen. This was something that was going to happen. He says there in Jeremiah 31, 31, he begins it by saying, the days are coming, declares the Lord. In, In other words, there's something that God's going to do in the future that is sure this is going to happen. God's word uh, is, is eternal. It lasts. It's going to happen. It's sure that this is going to happen. And he, he tells us in there that he's going to make a new covenant. In other words, I'm going to make a new agreement with my people. There's going to be a, a new way for them to relate to me. Something new is coming. He says in verse 32 that it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. In other words, it's going to be different. There's something new coming. There's something different coming. Um, there, there's going to be something that, that, that's going to change how things are done. He says this. He says in, in verse 32 also, he says that even though he took them by the hand, he says, even though I led them out of Egypt and when they were in slavery to Egypt and under the power of Pharaoh and he delivered the people out of Egypt through Moses, he's saying, even though I delivered them, he goes on and says, they've broken my covenant. In other words, they haven't held up their end of the agreement. They haven't followed my instructions or his law. They've broken his law. They've broken his instructions. They rebelled against him. And he says, even though I've treated them this way, he says, even though I was like a husband to them. In other words, I loved them. I pursued them. I I, I took care of them. I provided for them. He's saying, even though I did these things, they still rebelled against me. They still turned their backs to me. They still broke my covenant. They didn't hold to my instruction. They didn't worship me. They began to go other directions. And he's saying that he's going to do something different to remedy this. When I was reading this this week and just praying through it, I started thinking about um, how we as Christians, as people who profess faith in Christ and, and all that Jesus has done for us, how we can be so much like the Israelites, this this nation of Israel in which we look at all that God's done for us, all the work he did for us through Christ and taking our sin and taking God's wrath upon him so it wouldn't fall on us, giving us the forgiveness of sin, reconciling us to God, the Father, giving us life in the place of death, taking our sin and giving us righteousness, all of these things that Jesus has done for us. We can so easily look at those and yet continue in our own ways. 
We can continue to go against God's instruction. We can continue to, to worship other things. We can continue to get um, our heart out of order. That Instead of worshiping God, we begin to worship basically ourselves as we try to, to be God in our lives and try to put ourselves on the throne in which he alone should rule and reign. Verse 33, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with the people. He says, I'm going to do this. He says, this is what's going to happen. It's sure. He says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. He's saying, this is basically contrary to what we saw with the Ten Commandments. Think about the Ten Commandments. They were written on tablets of stone. And basically what he's saying is that these, these laws, these instructions, my heart for you, it's, it's going to be written in your mind. It's going to be written on your heart, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. In other words, it's not going to be something external that, that tries to modify your behavior because they've shown that they can't get that right. He says, what I'm going to do is going to be internal. It's going to be a work of my spirit. It's going to be something that only I can do. It's not going to be an external modification. It's going to be an internal transformation. And that's what he's saying is going to happen. And he says, I will be their God. Basically implies that at this point in time, he's saying, your minds and your hearts, they don't really belong to me. He's saying, at this point, I'm going to do something inside of you that's going to put your heart in line with my heart, that's going to place my words inside of you. He's saying, basically, to these Israelites, he's saying, you're going through the motion of these sacrifices. He's saying, you're going through the motions of the worship services. He's saying, you're going through the motions of the scripture readings, but your minds and your hearts don't belong to me. And we can find ourselves in the same situation, especially where we live in this culture of the Bible Belt. We can find ourselves in the same situation that we go through the motions of religious activity, but our hearts are still far from God. And this is what Jeremiah is saying is going to be remedied. He's saying God is going to change things. This covenant is going to change. And if you look at it, you see how many times God says, I will. He says, I will make a new covenant. He says, I will put it in their minds. He says, I will write it on their hearts. In other words, it's something that he's going to do that's not dependent on the human ability. That's not dependent on what we can do. But it's going to be something that's done through his power that changes us on the inside. Now, if we fast forward several hundred years, we come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when the Apostle Paul is defending his ministry. And these people have come in with these letters of recommendation. And, and they're basically trying to put these, these first Christian believers in Corinth under the, the, the restraints and the constraints of the law, the instruction where they're telling them, if you don't live this out, if you don't do this, then there's no hope for you. They're trying to shift their focus from Jesus to the law, to the instruction, when the point of the instruction is to lead us to Jesus. And so he's trying to keep them from being put back under this yoke of slavery to, to sin, to, to do something that they can't do on their own. And so he, he says this, is, this is his his. his Defense. This is what he makes his appeal to. He says in verse 2, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. And what he's basically saying is, look, we don't need letters that have been written by a man. We don't need human testimony to the fact that God has given us this ministry. He's saying, you are our letters. In other words, the change in your lives, the heart change that you've experienced that always leads to a changed life. What he's saying is this is the, the, the thing that I will make my appeal to. This is the thing that I will point to that legitimizes the ministry and the calling that God's given me. He's saying it's your changed lives. The power of God to change a heart. If you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is 
how much God has done in, in so many of their hearts. He says, or do you not know, writing to the Corinthians in the first letter that he wrote to them, he says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to verse 11. And that is what some of you were. And listen to the good news of this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Basically what he's saying is that was what you were. This was your heart. This is where your life was. But he's saying because of the work of Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the forgiveness that has justified you, made you right in the sight of God, because of the power of the Spirit that sanctified you, making you more like Christ. He's saying, I want you to see that you are our letter, the life transformation that has happened in you because of the heart transformation that's been done in you by Jesus and the power of the Spirit. This is what we rest our appeal on, is that you are our letter. Verse 3, he goes on and says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so we see that he's not telling them to look at something that's of human origin. He's telling them to look to something that is divine. He says it's a letter from Christ. It's something that God has done. He's saying this wasn't done with ink, but by the Spirit, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. And he's saying this is superior to any human recommendation that we could have because it was not done by the hand of man. It was done by the finger of God who is written by the Holy Spirit, his instruction, his law, his love, his power, his grace, his mercy into your hearts. And I look at this and as I was praying through it this week, it hit me like how much the church does today in its own power, in its own ability. How much the church does today by what we can accomplish. How much the church has neglected the heart change and the power of the Holy Spirit. So many times we lean on our own understanding and our own intellect to try to do what only God can do. And I'm telling you, as churches, we've got to get back to this reality that Jesus, working through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the message of the gospel, is how people's hearts are transformed, which leads to transformed lives that bring God glory, that give us purpose, that give us a reason for existence, that bring us joy, that bring us life. All of those things happen not because of what we can do, but because of the power of God working through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ. It's what God can do. If all we're going to do is what we can do, then we're wasting our time. We're wasting our energy. If, if God's not working through us and transforming lives and transforming hearts, if our hearts aren't being transformed, if God's not constantly and continually making us more like Christ because of our relationship with him, we have to ask the question, what are we doing? And, and I remember when we first started the church and there were all kind of challengers and, and naysayers who would say things to me and about us and about me and all of these different things. And I remember because I have a little bit of what you call a temper. And I know I would start getting mad and, and everything in me wanted to defend myself and what we felt the Lord had told us. But I remember God also very clearly telling me to let the fruit of the ministry speak for itself, to let God do what he was going to do, to let God's power working through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit be our validation. And here's the thing that I've realized. My validation and the validation of the church and your validation as a Christian doesn't come from a man's opinion. It doesn't come from having 
a degree on the wall. It doesn't come from letters behind our name. It comes from the working of God in our hearts and the, the, the working of the Spirit through us as other people's hearts are transformed through the ministry that God's called us to. A question that I feel like we all need to ask and every church needs to ask is our hearts being changed through what God has called us to do. Our lives being transformed because of transformed hearts. Because if that's not happening, we're missing the point. We're missing the point of what it looks like to come to faith in Christ, to be reconciled to God, to be transformed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 4, he says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. He's saying this is where our confidence comes from. It's not based off of something that someone else has said. It's based off of the life change that we've seen through the power of the preaching of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying this is why we're confident. It comes from the power of God, not from the opinion of someone else. He said we've seen the power of God through the gospel and it's our confidence in the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit not because of a letter, but because we've seen heart cha hearts change that we have this confidence to be so bold and to preach the gospel. If you go on to verse five, he says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He's saying, look, it's not because we're great, it's because God is great. It's not because of what we can do. It's because of what God is doing. And he, he, he wants us to see that it's only God who can do this work of transformation in our hearts to give us new life, to give us forgiveness, to let us walk in his grace and his mercy, his righteousness, his holiness. All of those things is something that only God can do. And I, I really believe it makes us ask this question. It's a challenging question, but God posed it to me this week before I'm giving it to you. The question is this, that we need to ask ourselves, has God done a work in my life? Has God done a work in my heart that only God can do? Is it something that he has accomplished in me? Or am I just trusting in what I can do to look, quote, Christian? Am I just trusting in how I can change my life from the outside? Or am I living and walking in the power of the Spirit who's working in my heart and transforming me from the inside out? Verse 6, he says, He has made us competent and as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He says we're ministers of the new covenant. It, it makes us go back to Jeremiah 31 where he says that God is going to give a new covenant. He says we're ministers of this. He's saying what you've experienced, what you've seen, the heart transformation that's happened in you. He's saying that that is what Jeremiah was saying was coming. This is the fulfillment of that. This is the new covenant. But then why do we need a new covenant? What was wrong with the old one? Was the old one flawed? Was God not able to fulfill his side of the bargain, of the agreement? Was God not able to be faithful in that? Did he not have the power to accomplish that? What was wrong with it? What was wrong with the first one? And what I want you to see in this is that it's not, it's not a problem that exists with the covenant. It's not a problem that exists because of God's faithfulness or power. The problem that existed with the old covenant and exists for all of us is this. We can't do what God has called us to do and be who God's called us to be without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the reality for us is this. The problem wasn't the covenant. The problem wasn't God. This is a hard truth to hear sometimes. But the truth is, the problem is our wicked hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us this. He says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. He says, who can understand it? 
And so we have to come to terms with this reality that in and of ourselves, our hearts are wicked. They aren't prone to draw close to God apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives and the power of the gospel that opens our eyes to Jesus. And we had specifically two problems with that old covenant. The first one is we had no ability to keep God's instructions or his law. So because of our wicked hearts, we were going to break those. And every person in here has broken those. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory or, or his instruction. And so we see that we all fall into that category. The second thing is that we had no way to be forgiven when we broke the instructions or the law. When we broke those things, there was no way to be forgiven. Because of those two things, the only one who has no need for Jesus in their life is the one who hasn't sinned. And we can all establish this fact that we've all done that. We've all sinned. We've all rebelled against God. We've all gone our own way. Most of you on the way to church this morning, right, are getting dressed. Guys, you were in the car waiting, blowing the horn, right? That's how it works at my house most of the time when we go somewhere. And so we probably have done that today. And it's reality for all of us. But sometimes we can't see that. The other night I was reading uh, the Bible with Reed, who's my youngest son. And we have his children's Bible. And after you read the scripture, it always has some questions that you can ask them to help them think more about that scripture. So we read the story, we got to the questions, and one of the questions that it asked was this. It says, are you ever tempted to disobey God? Now, you got to know Reed, right? And, and I said, Reed, are you ever tempted to disobey God? And he looked at me and he said, nope. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, you're never tempted to disobey God? Nope. I said, Reed, do you understand? That every time you disobey your parents, you are disobeying God because he says to honor your mother and your father. And his eyes got that big. And it was like all of a sudden his whole world came crashing down. And he realized that not only have I been tempted to disobey God, but I do it on a regular basis. And so he, he had this revelation of like, oh my gosh, you know, what's, what, what? Am I going to do about this, right? And so it was an a, a awakening for him of sorts that he realized, like, I do fall into that category. And I think for us, sometimes we don't recognize the, the weight of that for us, the weight of disobedience, the weight of rebelling against God, the weight of our sin. And then if we don't recognize that, we can't truly appreciate and walk in the light and the good news of the gospel with the gratitude that should be in our hearts. God comes in this new covenant, this work through Jesus and the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And he writes his instruction, he writes his law, he writes his heart, he writes his message. in the only place that it could have effect in our life and that's in our heart. He puts it there so that we can live it out. He puts it there so we can walk in that. He puts it there so that we can truly be transformed. And I want you to see that the rules and the do's and the don'ts are not what transform people. It's not what transforms people. It's the power of the Spirit working through the gospel. It's the work of Jesus in our hearts that gives us a new heart that transforms our lives. So many times, this is how we live our Christian life. We live our life focused on the sin rather than focused on Jesus. But we're gonna see in a minute that the Bible tells us if we will continually look into the face of Christ, in other words, look into the glory of Christ, looking into him, abiding in him, walking with him, that he will transform our life. It says from glory to glory. In other words, making us more and more like Jesus. But we gotta come to this realization that it's a work that God does in our heart. It's not this half-hearted attempt to be good enough or to be okay. It's the work of God in us. This is another hard truth. 
and it's not politically correct to say today. But the reality for us is that hell, listen, this eternal separation from God is going to be full of good people who had good intentions but never came to the realization and the knowledge of Christ who never experienced the grace of Jesus, who never put their faith in him or the full weight of their life resting in him, whose hearts were never transformed because we've gotten it so wrong. We've, we, we've, we've missed so much of the point of the transforming power of the gospel and the relationship that God gives us through Christ. We made it about so many other things. It's, it's, it's not about trying to beat you up this morning. It's not about trying to make you question things. It's about trying to get you to ask a question. Has God transformed my heart? It's to try to get us to look at how hopeless we are apart from Jesus and the work that he does in our lives. The, the other, this last weekend, actually, Susan was out of town for most of the weekend at a conference uh, for a continuing ed thing. And so uh, my oldest son's birthday was Monday, turned 15. And so be praying for us. He's driving. Um, and I'm riding with him. And, uh, and so uh, he, he turned 15 on Monday. So Sunday night we had some family and friends out to celebrate his birthday. We ate dinner. Um, after everyone left, Susan goes into our bedroom. And I hear her, she goes, Brandon, can you come here for a minute? And usually that means like she's just gonna put me to work. And so I walked in there, I was like, what is it? You know, what, what you need? And, and the only, the best way I can say this nicely is that she had a lady's undergarment in her hand. She'd been out of town all weekend. It was on my side of the bed. And she said, you know anything about these? And I was like, the first question thing out of my mouth was, those aren't yours, are they? She goes, nope. And I was like, I'm in big time trouble. And I was like, uh, she was like, you know, is there something you tell? I was like, I don't know anything about that, right? And so I, I was panicking. Like I knew I was in trouble. I was in a spot that I knew was like a hopeless, no win situation. And so I'm like, you know, somebody left that. That's not, I don't know anything about that. And so finally we, we, she calls and we find out that there was uh, a family member who had gone and changed and just happened to forget that. And so I got off the hook, but there for a few minutes, like you think I sweat when I preach, you should have seen me standing there in the bedroom. Like I knew I didn't do anything, but she didn't know that. And so anyway, uh, it was a hopeless situation. Like I knew I was in trouble. There was no way out there for a second. But I don't think we realize that in our life apart from Christ, that it's a hopeless situation apart from him. There's no way out of that. There's no way to experience true life. There's no way to experience uh, the power of God and, and what he wants us to truly experience. And so has God changed your heart? Have you experienced that in your life? Has, has God done something in you that's led to a, a change of life that leads to God's glory through your life. And I want you to hear this as good news because it means that we're not bound to our sin. We're not bound to our past. We're, 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 we're not bound to just do and live out of what we can do. We're not bound to try to make ourselves good enough for God, which is an impossibility. We have the ability to trust in Christ and be given the righteousness that we can never attain on our own. I want you to see that it is possible to be delivered from bondage to sin, from the cycle of sin. Not that we become perfect, but that we become progressively more like Christ. I want you to see that new life is possible and new heart is possible and new desires are possible. It's possible to walk in forgiveness. It's possible to walk free of condemnation, but it happens through the working of the spirit, through the gospel, through faith in Christ. It doesn't happen because of external religion. It happens because of the internal work of the Holy Spirit and our changed hearts 
are the evidence, just like it was for Paul, of God working in us. It's the evidence of saving faith as we receive the Spirit and a new heart when we put our trust and our hope in Christ. See, the question that we need to ask is not, have I altered my behavior somewhat? The question we need to ask is, has God changed my heart? It's not, do I wear morality like a facade to cover my behavior or my true heart? It's, has God changed me from the inside out? It's not, have I adopted some religious activities or routines? It says, God changed me at the core of who I am through faith in Christ. And it makes us come to another question that we have to ask ourselves. And that question is this, do my lips proclaim him, yet my heart is still far from him? Or does he have my heart? Does he have my life? Am I truly his do I belong to him? Am I being transformed by him? I want you to understand today, listen, you can go to church every Sunday, but still not love God, still not have a heart for God. We can take communion like we did this morning and our hearts still be far from God. We can raise our hands in worship, but still not know him. We can go to Sunday school or go to connect group or whatever it is and still be missing out on what God wants for us. We can clean up the outside to make it look pretty good, but still miss the new life that God wants to give us. We can quote the Bible backwards and forwards. We can know the scripture but still not know the one that the scripture points to. So the challenge this morning for me and for you is to ask ourselves, where am I with God? Am I growing in this relationship? Is he transforming my heart? Do I know him or know about him? Today, I think there's this what I would almost call a Christian fad, where many Christians and even some Christian leaders make this relationship with Jesus all about an intellectual thing. It's all about knowledge. And we begin to neglect what, what God wants to do, which is heart change and life change through the working of the Holy Spirit. We definitely wanna grow in our knowledge of scripture. We wanna grow in our knowledge of who he is, but we don't stop at knowing about him. Knowing scripture and being able to quote scripture is not the end in itself. It's a means to the end of knowing God. It's a means to the end of, of having a relationship with him, a heart-changing, life-changing relationship. See, none of these things lead to life change if we're doing all of those things just to do them? The question we have to ask is, has life change happened? Has God transformed my heart? All of this can sound very theological. It can sound very, very theoretical. But I want you to see a testimony. I want to show you a video to end the message. And I want you to see that this is something that God still does in people's hearts. God still transforms people's lives. He still does something in people that we can't do on our own. And so I want you to watch this testimony video. And I pray it'll speak to your heart about the truth of what we just talked about. During that time, I, uh, I started watching pornography. Um, a lot of guys on the team did it. So I just thought if I did it too, it was fun and cool. Well. I ended up becoming very addicted to it. Both of my parents were uh, school teachers. Uh, my dad was a high school football coach, so we were always around sports. Basically, that's the only time we got to see him was around football practices and games and stuff, so my brother and I was always there. I played uh, high school football and baseball. 
Um, I started dating when I was a, a junior in, in high school. Um, that was basically when I first started going to church was with her and stuff. So I would attend retreats and there was always, um, you know, salvation calls that they have it. I responded to one of the salvation calls and, you know, I thought I, I said the prayer and I thought I, you know, asked Christ to be in my life. I was completely wrong. I was, you know, going on, going to church on Wednesday nights and having sex during the middle of the week. So my first year of college, I was still dating my high school sweetheart. I ended up getting a uh, scholarship in baseball. As most college athletes do, they start getting attention from, from other females. Well, instead of being faithful and strong-hearted, I gave in. I ended up getting caught cheating with a girl, so I ended up breaking up with my high school sweetheart and jumping right into another relationship. And I thought that, um, that I would change, but I couldn't do it. Uh, I started abusing alcohol a lot more. At the end of that relationship, I ended up getting her pregnant. And um, we had a, a beautiful little girl. Um, I loved her to death, she's my world, but I was in a basically a dark place and nobody knew it. We got a divorce. And I mean, before I knew it, I was a every other weekend dad. There was a span of, of three years that I didn't, I didn't have a relationship, I just, would go out after any girl that I could could basically get. I was drinking a lot more, basically every night of the week. After that went on and on, I finally ended up meeting, which would be my second wife. The same exact thing happened. I was unfaithful. We ended up getting a divorce. While all this was going on, um, I was attending church. Uh, basically, I was just making everybody fooled. I was faking everybody out, making the outside look great and my, my inside was still living for sin in my selfish ways. During that time of being unfaithful, I ended up meeting the third long relationship, which her name's Heather. During our relationship, she, she started to come to church here at Connection. She would invite me to come, and I would always kind of make an excuse, or, you know, I'm going hunting Sunday morning, or, I'm going to hang out with this guy Sunday morning, or basically I was I was scared to death to come to Connection because I knew almost everybody that came to church here. They knew me, they knew my past, I knew the pastor Billy. It was more of a thing of me being just completely ashamed of stuff that I've done, and I really didn't want to show my face in church. As time went on, um, I ended up breaking down and I started coming. I really enjoyed it, um, the messages, started to hit me hard in my heart. Um, I always felt like Billy was talking straight towards me. They always talked about connect groups, and uh, I would always think in my head, there's no way I'm going to a connect group. We ended up finally going, and uh, it wasn't as bad as what I expected. Um, I remember the first night we went, we all sat around. It was a bunch of guys that, you know, I'd play baseball with in high school and known for a long time. Billy was leading a group. We got in the Bible study. It was it was a, a, a first step for me. It was it, it made me feel you know good inside, like, and I felt like God was working inside me then. Then I felt like God started like changing me. I just had an urge to to start you know getting to know the Lord more. During our connect group one night, um, it might have been the third or fourth night that I had attended, and um, Billy would always send out questions, so it would help us better understand the verses and kind of apply it to our lives. And uh, we were going over um, 1 John and um, where it talks about walking in the light and not in darkness and being close to God. And I think one of the questions was, um, you know, what's holding you back from walking in the light? I remember I was one of the last people to go in our small group to tell what was holding us back. So when it got to my turn, you know, I told them that I was you know, addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to pornography. Um, I was addicted to all kind of sexual sin. And in that moment, man, it was it was like the world just lifted off my shoulders. God, right then, was was pouring out His mercy and His grace on me. After that night, after small group, God just really started working in my life. Um, he changed my desires. 
he, he took away those sins that I couldn't take away from myself. He took away the urge for me to, to view pornography. He took away the urge of me wanting to, to get drunk and abuse alcohol. Me and, me and Heather were living together at a time. Uh, he started convicting me about us living together before marriage. We decided to, uh, to move out and, uh, until we got married. As we got married, man, Christ just blew up in our lives. Um, I was serving her, she was serving me. We were living, uh, you know, a godly marriage. Um, I really had a, uh, it was really laying on my heart um, about all my friends that didn't know Christ. Uh, people, you know, that I worked with that didn't know Christ. And I just wanted to share to them what Christ was doing in my life. So God has given me ample opportunities to share my testimony with people to help somebody that's struggling with something. Um, basically, he's, he's given me the pathway to help a bunch of people change their lives. It's just an indescribable feeling how God can take somebody like me and the stuff that I've done and the stuff that I've been through and still love me and, and change me from the inside out. I won't ever forget people saying this at, at Connection. It's one thing that always stuck with me was it's okay not to be okay. He meets us exactly where we're at and changes us forever. Lee is uh, in our Vidalia campus, and to me, his story is a perfect example of what we've been talking about. It's such a great example of God working in someone's heart and transforming their life. He's not made perfect, but he's being transformed. He's been given a new life in Christ. And that's, that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to give us a new life. In Jeremiah 31, where we read earlier, now, I'll finish with this. Verse 34, he says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. He's speaking of the work that Jesus is going to do for us and in us. He's saying, listen, no longer will you need someone to go for you between you and I. No, you don't need a mediator between us because Jesus is going to be that final mediator who brings us together. He's saying all of my people will know me. He's saying all of my people will have a personal relationship with me that's transforming. He says this amazing thing that he's going to forgive our wickedness. And he says he's not going to remember our sins any longer. And that's the work that God's done through Christ. And so today, I, I really want to finish this with asking you, do you have that relationship with Jesus? For some, it may be that you've never entered into a saving relationship with Christ. You've never experienced what Lee said, where he, he said, the weight of the world came off of my shoulders. The reason it did is because when he confessed his sin to God, it, God took it away as he promises he would do. Maybe you've never experienced the Holy Spirit working in you to transform you. And your next step is really your first step of salvation to put the full weight of your life through faith in Christ, resting it on Him. And you may be in a situation today where you're, you are a Christian, but maybe we're not looking into the face of Christ. Maybe our eyes have drifted somewhere else. We all have a tendency to look to the left or to the right. I believe today is a call for us to look into the face of Jesus, to see the glory of God so that he can do what his word promises, to transform us from glory to glory, making us into his image, giving us life through himself. And so today, I, I want to start as we always do if you don't have that relationship with Christ 
That's something you've never done. It's something you never trusted him with. You've never taken up your cross. You've never laid down your life to follow him. You've never given up your life so that you could have life in Christ. But you want to take that step today. Listen, my confidence is in this, that when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit does his work that he draws us to God and then he transforms us by the power of God. So if you've never taken that step of faith today, but you say today's the day for me, God's drawing me to himself and you say my faith from now on, it's gonna rest in Christ, my life, my eternity is gonna belong to him. Then I want you to acknowledge that today, just as we always do. I want you to stick your hand in the air and say today, I need Christ in my life. I need Jesus to do a work in me. I want to know him. I want to know about him. I want to know him. I want to pray for all of us. As we have this relationship with Christ, that we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who gives us a new heart and transforms us, gives us new life, redeems us from our past, redeems us from our sins, that we would continually pursue him and he would continually work in our hearts. So let's pray and I'm gonna pray that the power of the spirit works in us. God, thank you that you do work in our lives, that you still work in our hearts, God, that you still transform lives and hearts through the power of your spirit. God, as we put our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus, as we put our life in your hands, God, you give us life. You take all of our wretchedness and give us righteousness. God, we're thankful for that today. God, help us keep our eyes fixed on you not to look to the left or to the right, but to look continually into the face of Christ, which is the full expression of your glory. Transform us, God, into your image. Let us walk in the new life you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.